Hey, y'all, how's it going? Welcome to the show. It's my show, the Scott Horton Show. Today on the show, well, obviously bad news, but on top of that, Phil Weiss from the Mondo Weiss blog. Well, that kind of echoed in here, didn't I? I shouldn't yell. Uh, Phil Weiss from the Mondo Weiss blog is going to be here. And boy, does he have a tale to tell this time. You're going to want to hear that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm waiting to hear back from one or two, so uh, eh, there may be another interview or two. But I guess maybe not. Um, but that's all right. I still got a ton of news to cover. I got Daniel Larison coming up on the show for you tomorrow. Still trying to reach the guy from Cartel Land. Ah, that great documentary. Let's see if I can get that done. Uh, it's Terror Tuesday. Barack Obama, I guess, right now or a minute ago or here in a few, will be sitting down with the leaders of the National Security staff to decide who to murder with robots. And I'm sure they're doing a real good job, and it's probably nothing you need to worry about. But just so you know. Um, yeah, man. Um, so I got news. I got, uh, I got Islamic State war news. I got Libya. You know, I really need a good Libya expert. The best, um, the best interview I ever did on Libya was, um, I think a year ago. I think it was a full year ago. Jeez, was it two years ago? No, I think it was just one year ago. God, maybe it was two years ago. No, I think it was one year. Anyway, it was Belle True. Remember her? Uh, from the Sunday Times in Great Britain. And, uh, she had a piece in Foreign Policy. Uh, and it was all about, what was great about it was she, she got into, she described, you know, in detail the two major factions and which of the foreign countries were lining up to back which factions against the others and all of that. And, she really had it set, and was boy was she describing a crisis with no end in sight. But anyway, um, I don't know if uh, I guess I should Google that up and see if she's done anything more out of Libya lately. But I really do need a better. Uh, I I need to categorize my guests better. Let's see who do I have on Libya who's really good on Libya, man. It's hard. There's very few. Um, but anyway, I got news cover on it anyway. I should have Jason Ditz on the show. Uh, he's sure writing it up. And then, yeah, we got all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the cops and, well, it's not so much the cops. It's kind of about the cops. Domestic police state, uh, news anyway to cover here for you. All right, this first one, cover your kiddos' ears or turn the volume down or whatever, man. I don't even want to get into this too much. I Basically, I dare you to go read this article. But I already read it, and I don't really feel like talking about it too much. But it's, uh, you know, the details. 
but the death of the mentally ill inmate locked in hot shower until his skin, yeah, all of it, fell off, was ruled accidental. Accidental. All right, I'm sorry I'm going to talk about it. So the point of it is, I'm not going to get into the details because I just did. Uh, the point of it is that this was all very deliberate. They were punishing him because he defecated in his cell. The guy was crazy. Oh, what was he doing in there? Was he a rapist or a murderer or a robber or a criminal? Nope. Cocaine possession. Never hurt anyone. Was crazy. Took a dump in his cell. So they punished him by turning on the hot shower on all the way, scalding, boiling hot, full blast. And they left him in there until he died. They burned him to death as punishment. But then they call it an accident. Well, but they didn't mean to kill him. They only meant to torture him. And so the death was an accident. So no charges filed. You're free to go. Because, see, government employee versus non-government employee. That's why. That's why. There is no such thing as law. And don't get me wrong, they can nail you to the wall if they feel like it. But if it was law, then that would mean it applied to the government too, and it does not. It does not. The law is just public relations to make you believe that it's worth submitting to these criminals. That's all it is. And imagine the American War Party. If this had happened in any other country or, or, you know, one that they were targeting, not one that we, our government already owns. But for God's sake, man, I mean, just think if, if China or Russia or Iran, if this had happened in Iran, what the neocons would be saying right now. If this had happened in a jail run by Hamas in the Gaza Strip, what they would say. And yet, yeah, whatever, dude. This is Dade County. This is Florida, a.k.a. the United States of America, where government employees of any description may commit any crime they feel like and get away with it always. And yeah, I know you might scream that. I can think of two exceptions and I can answer that. Yeah, those prove the rule and you know it. The rule is there are no rules as long as a government employee is on the clock, they can murder whoever they feel like. If they had decided to torture this guy's daughter in order to punish him for taking a dump in his cell, then they would have got it away with that, too. Well, but, Your Honor, we didn't mean to kill her. We were just going to torture her. And so the death was an accident. Oh, well, since the prosecutor only charged you with the murder and not the torture, I guess I have to drop all charges. You're free to go. Have a nice two weeks paid vacation. See, that's what's called the rule of men, the rule of the will, of strength over weakness. Barbarism, see, like they have in the old world, uh, like the one that all of our ancestors, well, most of us, our ancestors, uh, voluntarily fled to come here to be free and to not have a system like that. But anyway. 
I dare you to go read this whole article at the Ross story. Death of mentally ill inmate locked in hot shower. <clears throat> yada, yada, yada. Ruled accidental. It says right in there it was deliberate punishment for him crapping in his cell. It was ruled accidental because? Because government is a conspiracy against you. That's what it is. There's your Illuminati. It's your local county sheriff's department. The judge and the prosecutor and the cops and the bailiffs and the constables, they are all in on it against you, Mr. Deck. Don't you see? That's how it works. And here's another perfect example. No, I'll save it till the other side of the break. Well, nah, I like it. From the New York Daily News. Uh, Texas teenager suspended from school after defying teacher to save classmate suffering from an asthma attack. Kid is suspended from school for saving a little girl's life. Because the rules say, let her die. And the rules also say that no government employee can ever be held accountable for any crime that they commit, including negligent homicide. And so, why would they expend a calorie to save a little girl's life if they don't feel like it, you know? Since there's no accountability ever. Ever. Superior blends of premium coffee. Roasted fresh in Zionsville, Indiana. Darren's coffee satisfies the casual and the connoisseur. Scott Horton Show listeners, visit darrenscoffee.com and use the coupon code SCOTT at checkout for free shipping. darrenscoffee.com Because everyone deserves to drink great coffee. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, you guys. Uh, so in other police state news here, man, uh, yeah, the, the teenager suspended. So here's what happened. The little girl started having uh, asthma attack, New York Daily News version of the truth anyway. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what city they're saying. It's in Texas here somewhere. Um, they even bother saying Colleen. Oh, it's up in Colleen. Okay, near Fort Hood there, right up the road. All right, so the deal is this, man. The girl starts having an asthma attack, like apparently a very severe one. So the teacher, apparently, according to the manual, sends an email to the school nurse. Asthma attack going on. What should I do? As per the protocol, I guess. No response from the nurse. So the girl is sitting there wheezing and wheezing, and the whole class, all the kids are sitting there. What do we do? What's going on? Well, we got to help her. We got to do something. No, don't. Wait until the nurse sends an email back. 
We will sit here and we'll watch the teacher stare at her computer waiting for an email to arrive until it arrives. Period. And I know you want to finish the sentence, but yeah, but what if the girl dies? But No, 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 period. We don't finish that sentence. The rules say you send an email and then you sit there like a goddamn fool. So what happened was the girl fell unconscious out of her chair onto the floor. And this young man, Anthony Ruelas, Ruelas, picked her up, threw her over his shoulder, and ran her down the hall to the nurse's office and saved her life. She was going to suffocate and die. She was going to die. And then the joke, of course, is that he's thrown out of school because he broke the rules. He broke the rules. The teacher, there was nothing that could happen inside whoever his or her brain there that could override the instruction that you're to wait for an email. And the rest of the kids in the class, there was nothing in their brain that could override the teacher's instruction that, no, you sit there. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether they're thinking in their brains, in language, out loud, kind of, you know, are they thinking, well, geez, I could get in trouble. And are they comparing that to, geez, I'm going to have to live the rest of my life remembering that time a girl died right in front of me and I did nothing to help her. I wonder if I give a shit if I have to do a week of detention. Because that that's not it, right? No one was thinking that. Except this one kid. What they were all doing was not thinking. What they were all doing is, one, obeying authority, no matter whether authority is right, or whether it's obvious how wrong authority is. And two, they're all suffering from the diffusion of responsibility. Somebody else will do it. If it needs doing, then someone else will do it. Or not even that. Just, uh uh-huh. Take comfort in the fact that everyone else is also sitting around with their thumb up their ass, too. I don't know. I guess I'm only 125th responsible for the death of this girl, as we, all 25 of us, stood around and did nothing. So now if I had, you know, if it had just been me, that'd be one thing. But I'm only 125th responsible, so, eh. Kind of like a lynching. The whole town gets a little bit of credit, but only a little bit of the blame for murdering somebody. See? And so she was going to die. And then this kid, um, the teacher's report, quotes him. Oh, the teacher wrote him up. Oh, boy. Quote, F, can you believe it? He used a bad word. F-U-C-K that. We ain't got time to wait for no email from the nurse. Apparently he was in a government school. We ain't got no time to wait for no email. So he picked her up and he carried her to the nurse's office. And so I guess that was why he's in extra double trouble is because, not his bad grammar, they don't know that that's bad grammar at government school, but because he used the F word 
while he was saving the girl's life and defying the rules that said that he had only one obligation in this circumstance, which is to sit there and obey and watch her die. And now, dig this. What if that was your kid was the one having the asthma attack? This is how much the government school employees care about your kid. They'll sit there and watch her die and then go, oh, it's a tragedy. We're calling counselors from all around the school district to come so you can talk about your feelings about the sad death of poor Amy or whatever. Oh, rest assured, we're going to send flowers to the funeral. They would let your daughter die. They would let your daughter die. The only chance she's got is if the jock is so pig-headed that he decides he's just going to break all rules, commit what here soon would be probably classified as some kind of violent felony in order to, you know, defy them and save her life. And he will be punished. You know, i got to wonder about the parents of the girl. Oh, what's their position on this? Of course, they can't sue the teacher, and they can't sue the principal. They've got sovereign immunity. They're not individual human beings. They are the living definition of the diffusion of responsibility. They are government. They could have thrown that girl in a scalding hot shower till she was dead, and they'd have gotten away with that, too. So, I sure hope that they sue that school district right out of existence. It is just horrible to think that people are assaulting their children every day by sending them to a government institution to be educated. I mean, who even came up with that? I mean, I guess I could see way back in olden times in the 19th century where, geez, nobody around here has enough capital to really set up an education business that can satisfy all the demand. I, I, I can't, I, knowing economics even as well as I do, I know that's really not true. But I could see why people would buy that or something. Uh, but why we hire government to educate the kids in the 21st century? Is just, it's completely beyond me. The only answer must be either uh, people not thinking about it at all, or they're so caught up in their damn socialist ideology and so stuck on seeing freedom as greed and corruption and evil that truth like this just can't even hit them in the head hard enough to fix it. Hey, all Scott here. First, I want to take a second to thank all the show's listeners, sponsors, and supporters for helping make this show what it is. I literally couldn't do it without you. And now I want to tell you about the newest way to help support the show. Whenever you shop at Amazon.com, stop by ScottHorton.org first and just click the Amazon logo on the right side of the page. That way the show will get a kickback from Amazon's end of the sale. It won't cost you an extra cent. And it's not just books. Amazon.com sells just about everything in the world except cars i think so whatever you need they've got it just click the amazon logo on the right side of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash amazon
Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. One more uh, police state news here. Obama to end solitary confinement for juveniles in federal prisons. Huh? What federal crimes could juveniles even commit? (laughs) Oh, simple drug possession in the wrong place or... Jesus Christ. And then here at the very end of Obama's presidency, he is uh, rewriting a rule to make that uh, no longer the case. Is that what the law says? Did the law say they could even do this in the first place? Or was that just a rule and a regulation that they wrote giving themselves permission to do this in the first place? I mean, it's true. Somebody under 18 can commit some heinous crimes, but... And the more heinous the crime, the more likely it is to be a state crime, right? You know, murdering a few people or something like that. Uh, what does that have to do with the feds? But anyway, I saw the first uh, tweet I saw about this yesterday was, you know, oh, look, Obama ends solitary confinement for juveniles in federal prison. Also breaking up until now, we had solitary confinement for juveniles in federal prison. Holy crap. Thanks, Obama, for revealing that this is even the case as you outlaw it with a stroke of your pen, which we're not sure if that's how it got that way in the first place or when or what. Anyway, just. Yeah. Oh, and now here's the thing, too, man, I wanted to mention this was supposed to I got my uh, articles out of order. This was supposed to be uh, part of my great segue from the diffusion of responsibility and uh, the the will to obey authority. Like a real-life Stanley Milgram experiment right here. Rescuers, another one. Rescuers unable to help 31 refugees who drown due to laws preventing people smuggling. Um, due to their willingness to obey laws preventing them from saving the people. Even in The Independent, you can't fit all that in a headline. And they write the longest headlines in the business. 31 refugees drown in the Aegean Sea after rescue workers stationed nearby were initially left unable to assist them until the boat had left Turkish waters. Australian national Simon Lewis says he and a team of rescue workers were sailing in international waters near the Greek island of Lesbos when they heard reports of a refugee boat nearby. Because the boat was still in Turkish waters at the time, Mr. Lewis's crew were not dispatched to the scene and were therefore not in a position to help when the vessel subsequently started to sink leaving 31 people dead. If they'd made it to international waters before sinking, then rescue workers could have approached them and helped.
That's the nature of life-saving. We put ourselves in that situation to help prevent people from drowning. And yet, because it's across the way in international water, you're restricted and can't actually do anything about it, Mr. Lewis told Australia's ABC News. So, uh, I guess... um. Yeah, Lewis described reports in Australia that his team had simply stood by and watched as the refugees had died as having been hyped up. I guess I kind of hyped it up a little myself. Now that I'm reading, I see there's a little more uh, complicated than that. Although it is, it's still the law is what was keeping them from heading that way in the first place. I don't really understand that part, why they weren't going to, you know, head that way to meet them once they got to international waters at the line or something. Then they would have been within the line of sight. And anyway, this is all because of the Republicans and the Democrats. They've destroyed the entire Middle East. They've run millions and millions and millions of people out of their homes. And millions. And, yeah. Well, I don't mean to just blame the politicians, because, of course, everybody who does what they say in uh, carrying out the policy is guilty, too. But there you go. By the way, just in case you missed it, U.S. relies heavily on Saudi money to support Syrian rebels. Once every year and a half or so, the New York Times... We'll say, <clears throat> by the way, America supports al-Qaeda in Syria, you dummies. Look, they've admitted that quite a few times, and this is another time that they've admitted it. It's uh, Mazzetti and Apuzo. U.S. relies heavily on Saudi money to support Syrian rebels, a.k.a. Zawahiri's men. And you can read that in the New York Times. It came out on Saturday. It's not hard to find there. Oh, if you get stuck behind their stupid paywall, uh, go through Google News and... Might work for you there. Um, all right, so uh, Syria talks. I don't know if it's even worth talking about the Syria talks. Biden, U.S. ready to impose military solution in Syria. Um, the fact is, there's nobody to represent all the different sides fighting there. There's just a bunch of foreign powers involved in this and it's impossible for them to come up with any kind of solution and it doesn't seem like you know more than a few of the different factions involved even want a peaceful solution at this point they rather go on fighting because fighting is achieving their goals to some degree or at least continues to promise to uh, as I was explaining yesterday it's not even, you know, you can forget all your Sunni Shia, whatever, when it comes to uh, Syria, the majority of the Sunnis support the regime. Uh, and um, and then you got the Kurds and the Christians and the Druze and every other kind of thing. You know, I asked a, a guy I know who's a Druze, I says, what is a Druze anyway? And he said, well, they're kind, I think he said Shia. I think he said, well, they're kind of like Shia mixed with Christianity, mixed with Greek mythology. Well, he said, we are. Really? That's interesting. I'll learn more about that while they still exist. 
before Obama's al-Qaeda minions finished killing all of them. But anyway. And then, um, yeah, in case you had missed this one like I had missed it, U.S. to put boots on the ground in Iraq to combat the Islamic State. This is by Adam Johnson at Alternet. Defense Secretary Carter announces plans to deploy the 101st Airborne Division in the latest escalation of the war. So that's a lot more than just even second-tier special forces to train. That's, you know, 101st Airborne is just... That's not any different than just regular infantry, right? I'm not in the chat room because my damn website's broken, so I don't have my military guys in the chat room to tell me what's the right name of stuff like usual. Yeah, anti-war show's a big hit with the vets, man. Some of them. But anyway, um, it looks like I was right after all. That they haven't decided that they have no choice but to send in the army to sack Mosul. Who else is going to sack Mosul? I don't think that the Shia militias and the Iraqi army can do it. I don't know. I guess if they have full-scale American air power just bombing the hell out of the city. Um, in a way that just completely throws the Islamic State guys off guard and they send in all of the Shia militias and the entire Iraqi army and the Peshmerga too, maybe they could kick the Islamic State out of Mosul, but I don't know, man. I don't know if anybody really knows. I need to get Mitch Prothero on the phone. Get a, a good recent estimate of their strength in Mosul. Just how much of a fight he expects them to put up there. I guess, though, he said Fallujah's next. Fallujah matters a lot more to Baghdad than Mosul does anyway, so. I don't know. Oh, Pentagon admits to killing kids. Top headline, antiwar.com. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. You hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, man, I thought this was funny. Did you guys watch the Democrat thing last night? I did not. I was watching some crappy movie. I don't even remember. In one eyeball, out the other. But anyway, uh, it's funny, man. I remember everything I read, like Encyclopedia Brown. But uh, the movies I watched, couldn't. I cannot tell you what movie I watched last night. I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I guess if I really stopped to think about it, maybe I could come up with it. But... Here's the point. Oh, I don't go to the movies. If I did that, then I would remember that. But just the Pirate Bay, you know. I got everything you need there. Uh, but apparently last night, uh, there was a scripted moment uh, that got caught out bad as the kid stumbled 
and then said to Hillary, oh, I can see why they gave you this question. Who is your favorite president? <laughs> and then she said, oh, Abraham Lincoln. Derp, derp, derp. <laughs> um, but that was his flub. I can see why they gave you this one as he's stumbling around. And maybe that's not exactly what he meant because he may have been the one to misspeak. But I mean, would that really have been his question if he had a question or they put the kid up to it somehow, right? I hope somebody interviews him and finds out. I don't care enough to, but it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton. You know what? I do want to talk about Hillary Clinton. Let's talk about how stupid Hillary Clinton is. She is, and I mean for her own self-interest, never mind all the things that I disagree with her about and think that she's horrible on, but I just mean on her own political strategizing and so forth. How in the hell is she attacking Sanders from the right on Iran? Right when the entire left wing, I mean the entire American left, from the absolute dead center and everyone to the left of that, is right now... Uh, not just happy about the Iran deal, but a great many of them are engaged in defending the Iran deal and the president for making the Iran deal. And they're celebrating the implementation of the Iran deal. See, they abided by it. So much so that we're lifting the sanctions and it's apparently working and the inspections are expanded and the, and everything's hunky-dory. And she picks that moment right in January... The second, third, or beginning of the third week of January of 2016 to attack Sanders for being soft on Iran? I know I've said this before, but I don't think I said it on the radio. Sorry, guys, if I said this the other day, but I think I just said it in private conversations. What an idiot she is. How bad at politics she is. She puts out a statement that the Intercept immediately says, this is signed by at least 10 paid uh, call them activists of the military industrial complex. She's got literal board members of Raytheon signing a thing saying, oh, Bernie Sanders is irresponsible on Iran. And meanwhile, all he, I think I did say this yesterday, didn't I? Meanwhile, all he said was, eh, you know, I don't think we should necessarily open up an embassy there tomorrow or anything, but, you know, work things out and get that way. And sure, they do a lot of bad things that we don't approve of and that kind of, you know, it was that kind of a statement, a very conservative one saying, yeah, things maybe could be a little better someday. And, oh, you're so irresponsible. Da, da, da. Does she know she's in a Democrat primary? I mean, is was there a particular Israeli who she was trying to line up as a donor with that line? And she just thought, man, I got attacked this far to the right today. For this one donor before I tack back again? Or what is she doing? His whole thing is, I'm not as centrist as her. And that's what everybody likes about him. <laughs> you know? And uh anyway, it's just stupid. It's the same thing as Jim Webb. You know, Jim Webb, I mean, he's not an energetic enough guy, but political handlers can fix that. Like, hey, Jeff, uh, 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 Jim. Do ten jumping jacks and then say that line again like you really care, okay? Come on. As far as that goes, that can be bumped up. But he went out and attacked Obama from the right on the Iran deal and tried to oppose the Iran deal. Running as, forget Hillary, if you think Hillary's a Republican, look at me. I'm the most Republican Democrat you could find. 
when that's not the value of being Jim Webb at all. If there's value, if he has an advantage, a comparative advantage in the race, it's that he is a militarist, tough guy who takes stances for peace. That he has his right flank armored. No one can touch him. He was Ronald Reagan's secretary of the Navy. He killed men with his bare hands in Vietnam. Which he brags about instead of saying, man, that was a horrible thing that happened. But still... No Republican can attack him for being a wimp. He could kick all of their asses with one hand. and But he opposed the surge. And in fact, I think I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that Jim Webb, former senator from Virginia, started to run as a Democrat for a while there, dropped out. And they're talking about him coming back as an independent. That's why I'm bringing him up again. Um, I believe that he opposed Iraq War II in the first place. And he certainly opposed the surge. and um, And he had that whole thing where... He could run as the hardcore peacenik. We can call off the terror war. We can have peace with the Russians. You know, we can uh, come to reasonable accommodations with the Chinese. We don't have to be a militarist empire. And don't call me a sissy because, hey, only Nixon can go to China, right? Only a former secretary of the Navy can assure the American people that, no, he's not a communist selling us out to the enemy or anything. He's saving America from its national security state, which is a cannibal and which is devouring our country, which is a murder-suicide plot that's destroying the Middle East and our own middle part of North America along with it. And no one could attack him. From the militarist, right? Because he could say, whatever, dude, I fought in Vietnam. Where were you? Whatever. I was the secretary of the Navy. I know all about the real threats to America, and I know how few of them there are, and et cetera. And he's a smart guy. He could win. Arguments, not the nomination necessarily. But his political handlers, they told him opposite, and he acted opposite, and what a maroon. Boy, did he blow it. He could have come out and said, man, the Rand deal is awesome, and I will go toe-to-toe with any Republican wants to fight about it. Tom Cotton, I call you a sissy. I slap you with my glove, and I say, let's argue about the Iran deal. And then, who's Bernie Sanders, right? If that's what Jim Webb had done back, um, you know, early summer, 2015, late spring when he first started coming out, could have been great completely blew it i know what i'll do i'll run to hillary's right in the democratic primary because i really thought this through Uh uh-huh yeah just like uh bloomberg okay here's the thing i really ought to be a zillionaire providing political advice to these horrible enemies of mine (laughs) and yours uh this guy bloomberg uh, here, let me explain something to you. No one likes you outside of New York City. Most have never heard of you. There's nothing likable about you whatsoever. And the more people find out about you, the more they will all hate and reject you. And who in the world told you opposite of that? Are you kidding me? Um... You know, Donald Trump has flair, man. Donald Trump had a TV show and a hot, you know, Eastern European wife and all this stuff. Donald Trump's been on our TV for 35 years straight. 
who the hell is Bloomberg except that the former mayor of New York and billionaire, spoiled, rotten brat of a mayor that everybody hated? The whole damn city rejoiced when he finally left power. Who broke the law, constantly spying on Muslims, uh, blatantly violating the rights primarily of young poor blacks with his stop and frisk program of illegal searches. And, you know, this is the guy that tried to outlaw the 32-ounce soda and what... <laughs> you know, anyway... I don't know who told him that anyone in the world likes him at all or that he has a political future as a presidential candidate in the United States of America. The same people who were announcing three or four weeks ago, Rubio ascendant, (laughs) Rubio ascendant. You mean at the uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page board meeting? Is that what you're talking about? Over at the Wall Street Journal, they had a meeting, and they agree that they all like Rubio. Jesus, what am I doing trying to stop these people? I could be making millions telling them, no, you stupid idiot. (laughs) You're really bad at politics, you successful politicians. Let me help you. You can be worse and do worse. Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Hey, all Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. I'm here on the Liberty Radio Network live from noon to two on the weekdays. Sign up for the podcast feeds at scotthorton.org. You know when it works, which is most of the time, I guess. Should be fixed here in a little while. Sneakers working on, he said. Um, uh, and for those of you who listen to this in uh, podcast format later on, the archives, well, you're missing out on all the great bumper music. So you should listen live. So you can listen to bumper music and all the commercials. Uh, yeah, anyway. Scott Horton Show, uh, noon to two, uh, Eastern time here on Liberty Radio Network, 11 to 1 Texas time. ScottHorton.org for all the archives when it's working. Uh, Scott Horton Show on Twitter. Mm, that's pretty much that. Uh, tonight. Terror Tuesday. It's uh, Eye on the Empire with me and Jeff Tucker over at Liberty.me. Liberty.me. It's like Facebook, but for just libertarians. That's not their official slogan, but I'm just trying to do my part. Uh, they're an advertiser on this show, and um, I have two shows that I host on there, The Future Freedom with Jacob Hornberger 
uh, every uh, Thursday and every other Tuesday, Eye on the Empire with Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey Tucker, why, he's a libertarian. And uh, mostly what he's about is being against things that government does and being for other things. I think pretty much everything, as long as it's consensual. Uh, but he's also a big um, celebrant of progress. Uh, not just technological progress, although, you know, in a lot of ways it seems like it, but just, you know, the progress of peace and uh, interdependence of mankind. The more complicated the market, the better for us all. That's uh, Jeff Tucker there. And uh, so he's the, I guess, I'm the angry ranter, and he's the guy who says, yeah, but aren't Bitcoins marvelous? <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, so. It's a great show, man. I like it. I think you'll like it. It's uh, 8 o'clock tonight, Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Texas Time, at liberty.me. And, you know, I'm fairly certain you don't have to be a member to see the show. Could be wrong about that. But I could be right about that. Uh, anyway, uh, liberty.me, just click on the live button there. And if you can, see about that. Or, hey, why not sign up for liberty.me? It's just five bucks a month, which is a reasonable price. You'll hardly miss it. Liberty.me. Uh, okay, and then, um, I gotta tell you how you can contribute to the continued existence of this show. Uh, first and foremost, you could advertise on the show. You got a band or a business or an event or a group or whatever. Um, then advertise. I'm real cheap. And if I could line up just a few more of you guys, then, uh, that would really help out. So, and might help you out too. Certainly worth a try, don't you think? Scott Horton, uh, Scott at scotthorton.org. Scott at scotthorton.org. That's my email address if you're interested in advertising on the show. In fact, as soon as the show is over today, I gotta get this spot cut. Supposed to be done yesterday. Uh, got one. New one. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, let me know, man, if you're interested in advertising on the show. I need advertisers. Then you could be like Robertson Roberts, Brokerage Inc., and Wall Street Window, and LibertyStickers.com, and the rest of them. Uh, Future Freedom, and uh, Liberty.me, etc., in helping to support this show. Uh, Master Samurai Tech, uh, MPV Engineering, and, uh, of course, Immigration. Individual versus National Borders by David Hathaway, the great book. Available at Amazon.com right now. Okay. Uh, in fact, the front page of the website is working. I bet you could uh, follow the links to each and every one of those advertisers, and including the ones I neglected to mention. I think I got everybody. Um, but yeah, man, become a sponsor on this show. Also, patronize the sponsors of this show. And even better yet, make sure that they know that you heard it here. And say, hey, the reason I'm patronizing your good or service is because I heard about it on the Scott Horton Show. That makes them happy and maybe uh, would help to uh, persuade them to continue advertising on the show so that there can be a show. So, be a sponsor patronize my sponsors or if you just like giving money away then uh when the website's working you just go to scotthorn.org slash donate 
And there's all different ways to donate to support the show. There's, uh, you know, most common are one-off donations by way of PayPal and uh, people who sign up to do uh, usually monthly but occasionally weekly donations of uh, whatever reasonable amount. And those are really great, really helpful, and uh, help the show to continue. And so uh, please feel free to do all of that. And there are rewards, too. Anybody who donates 50 bucks, you get the audio book of your choice from listenandthinkaudio.com. Anybody donates 100 bucks, you can get a one-ounce silver round QR code commodity disc. You just scan the phone, uh, scan the coin with your phone. It tells you the instant spot price in real time, exactly how much the round is worth on the market. And... uh I just think it's great, man. I think it's the future of currency. Like, I don't know how if QR codes are the future of everything in the world or whatever, but I know that a coin that tells you how much it's worth right now and you know it's made of a fine element like silver, that is the future of currency. That is awesome. And digital receipts for them and whatever, too, but I'm saying, yeah, those. So uh, those are QR code commodity disks, and if you donate 100 bucks, I'll send you one. Uh, or you can get Charles Goyette's book, Red, Blue, and Broke All Over, about the debt and the wars, mostly the debt, uh, or Sheldon Richmond's Your Money or Your Life Against the Income Tax. Uh, those are great. Or you can get the audiobook of uh, Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me. And now, I know this is really pushing it, but hear me out. Anyone who donates $200 to the show gets a lifetime subscription to Listen and Think audiobooks. Well, Listen and Think audiobooks isn't just audiobooks. It's libertarian audiobooks. And Derek Sheriff that runs Listen and Think Audio is, you know, a hardcore ideologue like you and me on the individualism issue and has already done, I guess, more than a dozen and plans on doing dozens and dozens and dozens and from on into the future, producing libertarian audiobooks and just trying to get our philosophy out there in audiobook format, man, because that's what he's about. And so it's just guaranteed he's going to continue to do this, uh, to produce audiobooks. You will have a lifetime subscription. And Derek Sheriff, he said, he doesn't care, dude. If you die, you can pass on your lifetime subscription to your kin. It's a his lifetime subscription to listen and think audio. So, and he's a young man in, in reasonable shape, and I'm sure he's going to do fine. You guys pray for him if you believe in that kind of thing. I'll knock on wood, even though I don't believe in that kind of thing. Um, listen and think audio, a lifetime subscription to all the audio books he's already done and all the audio books he will ever do if you donate $200 to the Scott Horton Show. So tell me how that's not worth it. Assuming you got the 200 bucks around. Even if it's your last $200, that's worth it, right? Okay, maybe if it's not your last $200. But if it's like your second to last $200, I couldn't see you not choosing to spend it this way, seriously. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, I got to do it or there's no show. That's it. Bidness is bidness. You want to hear uh, someone who has always been consistently perfect on this since, you know, I was in 10th grade and uh, will continue to be perfectly anti-war and on the facts and on the most important stories for you every day from now on like I have been for the last nine years, then 
help support, advertise, patronize my advertisers. For God's sake, man, please. And or uh, just stop by and uh, donate. Lots of ways to do it. Uh, Google Wallet, too, if you don't like PayPal. We got that. You send a check. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Oh, yeah, man, I forgot to say this. I always forget to say this. Patreon.com. If you go to Patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show, then you can just donate two two bits per interview or whatever you want. Uh, A penny or a nickel or a dime or any old thing. And if, uh, you know, it's just multiplication tables, that's all, man. If I can get everybody to chip in a little bit, and that's a lot. Uh, and it's not like I'm trying to buy a house or anything here, man. I'm just trying to live and keep bringing you guys the truth about what the hell is wrong. That's it. Okay. Uh, Patreon.com. And uh, I want to uh, thank Jared Wall. He signed up at Patreon today. And... uh yeah, man, four bits per interview. That's pretty good. That's a good incentive on me to shut up and get to work arranging interviews, especially even ahead of time and getting a lot of interviews done. You know, greed. For those of you who like the interviews so much, you can incentivize me. Patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. And thanks again to Jared, man. I do appreciate that, dude. You earned your thanks. By doing something I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so good. Okay, now I remember to save that and that and that. And, uh, okay, cool. Uh, Phil Weiss is coming up in just a few minutes, and he's got a lot to say about what's going on over there in Palestine right now. I don't want to say anything more than that. If you saw his website this morning, then you already know what I mean. But if not, man, you're going to want to hear it. It's, it's going to be interesting. Okay, uh, now to the front page of antiwar.com where uh, we've got a piece by Dan Sanchez um, called Uncle Sam's Suicide Squads. The long-sorted U.S. policy of using bad guy and expendable assets. And uh, so this is a new movie that's coming out with whatever movie stars in it. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air and a few others, and um, and so what it's about is uh, it, well, it's based off a comic book uh, from the 1980s where uh, they take all the supervillains and put them to work for the Reagan administration, doing the right thing, 
in a deniable way for Uncle Sam. And that, so I guess that's the premise of the new movie as well. And then Dan Sanchez is saying, yeah, exactly. That's how they do business. That's exactly how Ronald Reagan did business, just like back uh, in the days of the original comic book. And it's exactly how Barack Obama does business right now. And the same thing for Hillary or Jeb or Trump or whoever. Sanders? <laughs> whoever comes next. I suppose it's possible. Um, you know, and he's already said, oh, yeah, the assassination program, robots and Delta Force murderers and whatever. I'm all for that. Vote Sanders. Just give me that F-35 money, baby. I'm pretty sure that was a direct quote. Um, but anyway, so uh, I don't want to ruin the whole article for you, but my point is that Dan Sanchez is great. And here's the guy who, um, I guess he uh, was really an economics guy. He's worked at the Mises Institute uh, for quite a while. Um and then it it's only, I think, fairly recently he said that he really got interested in foreign policy. But boy, has he learned a lot. And boy, does he uh, write great articles explaining what it all is that he's learned. Really good stuff. And in fact, you know, um, I think you guys are aware that on a lot of these subjects, I will now, you know, maybe before I would have had different uh, recommendations uh, but pretty much on a lot of these things now, I'll say, go and read this Dan Sanchez article about it. Because he writes, you know, he's a talented writer. He writes in a very comprehensive way. And, um, you know, these essays, and they all kind of go together in a way, right? But, uh, you know, if you wanted to learn, for example, about the story of the clean break strategy and the neoconservatives who wanted to smash the Middle East uh, in order to benefit Israel, Wilmser and Pearl and Fife and, and what they wrote in 96 and what all that has to do with the Iraq war and the aftermath and the rest, then that's who I recommend is uh, Dan Sanchez. Um, the first one is from clean break to dirty wars. And then there are a few articles apart on the, on the list there at antiwar.com. But anyway, you find them from clean break to dirty wars and then seize the chaos. And then, of course, both of those are references to these essays, these studies or whatever, put together primarily by David Wumser. The first one was written by David Wumser and signed by the rest of them. And I guess written with Pearl in them. The second one was written just by Wumser. And um, it's a clean break, a new strategy for securing the realm and coping with crumbling states. That's the second one. And anyway, so uh, Dan's right up on those. They're as good as any I've ever read anyway. I can't think of any better that I would recommend to you if you wanted to wrap your head around that. And especially, you know, up to date with the current crisis in Syria and everything else in there. It's just great stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm very uh, happy that we've been able to recruit him to write for Antiwar.com. He's a new regular writer. He writes for the Anti-Media website as well. And uh, he's just got a ton of great stuff, man. And, uh, and... I kind of wish he would slow down a little bit because he writes two, three, four great articles a week, and I'm afraid he's going to get burned out after he's done saying everything here in six months or so. Because <laughs> uh, he's just churning out great stuff here, man. The Saudis go full ISIS. Saudi and Israel, an axis of convenience. After me, the jihad. That's a quote from or a paraphrase of Muammar Gaddafi before the regime change there. Iran frees Americans as sanctions are lifted, frustrating warmongers around the world. 
and humiliation and heard think. I like that. A good uh, attack on collectivist ideas and behaviors among the militarists. So anyway, there you go. And I'll tell you this, too. He's got a project uh, that I know he's putting together where he's going to take all these essays that he's written for Antiwar.com, his own archive at Medium, which I think predates some of his Antiwar.com stuff, as well as stuff that he's written for the Antimedia and other sites, and he's going to be compiling them all in a new, at least, ebook and maybe actual book of uh, his collected Antiwar essays from over the past, I guess, two years or so. And I think it's a great project, and I hope that... What the hell is that? I think it's a great project, and I hope that uh, once he gets it going there, that you guys will help contribute to the effort. shouldn't take too much to get it put together. And then uh, and then there will be great writing out in the world where people can get it. So, uh, But check out Dan's latest there, Uncle Sam's Suicide Squads, The Long-Sorted U.S. Policy of Using Bad Guy and Expendable Assets. It's there on antiwar.com today. I want you to take a look at that. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. And, um, I did say Daniel Larison is going to be on the show tomorrow to talk about, uh, I guess primarily the Republican primary campaign and what these various lunatics have to say about foreign policy. And also Marjorie Cohn will be joining us tomorrow as well to talk about American and Saudi war crimes in Yemen. A very great piece that she's written. It'll be the spotlight tomorrow on antiwar.com, of course. The great Marjorie Cohn tomorrow on the show. Up next, Philip Weiss from the Mondo Weiss blog. Hey, Al Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. All right. Uh, introducing our friend Phil Weiss, keeper of the Mondo Weiss blog. Um, I say it that way because there are a lot of great writers there besides him, and he's one of them. Um, but so are a lot of others. I really hope that you guys will sign up for the morning email and the rest of it and keep a very close eye on the Mondo Weiss blog. It's really great stuff all the time. Welcome back to the show, Phil. How are you? Great. Thanks, Scott, for having me. Uh, very happy to have you here, and uh, uh, I'm happy to interview you about something uh, that you've written far better than what I originally uh, invited you on about, oh. which, you know, the the essay that you wrote about the politics and all that, maybe we could even get into it at the end, but I don't know. Who cares about Kerry? Uh, the important thing is this thing that you've written among the settlers, and now I guess part two is up there. Uh, you just told me during the break as well. And this is about your recent trip to the West Bank. And do I understand you right, sir, that you've been to the West Bank before, but you always stayed with Palestinians. And now this is the first time that you stayed with Jewish settlers on the West Bank and, and learned all about the situation from their point of view. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. That's the, I've always been curious about uh, getting into settler life. Uh, I never thought I could. Uh, then Airbnb, I learned last year, was putting up, uh, allowing uh, people to visit the settlements, and I used that service, and I went to uh, four settlements, spent five days in the West Bank. 
altogether around 10 settlements I was in uh, with my host uh, going around. And uh, I think it's actually related to the politics in this sense. Um, John Kerry has spent some political capital recently, so has the American ambassador to Israel, Daniel Shapiro, in saying, hey, you got, in so many words, they haven't said it explicitly, you've got a two Law, uh, the, uh, discriminatory system in the West Bank for um, against Palestinians. Uh, you have a one-state reality between the river and the sea. Uh, the two-state solution seems to be over. I was there. I witnessed it firsthand. It's apartheid, and it's never going away. Right? Uh, these people want this. They say, and I think the settlers make this argument very convincingly. They did to me that uh, Israeli society is behind them. Israeli society is not going to challenge the occupation. Uh, even the so-called uh, liberal Zionists uh, don't raise the issue of the peace process. They don't want a Palestinian state. These people, 600,000 of them, are there to stay. And we really, uh, our press has failed us, you know, and uh, John Kerry has actually been in front of the press on this. Our press has failed to explain to Americans that the two-state solution is over. These people are living there. It's one state. We've got to figure out a better way, uh, or they do, uh, and we should certainly not be supporting what's going on there. Mm. Yeah, it is. I guess that is what's the most notable thing about it is that he would dare to say that. And I guess I wonder why. I mean, because his point is already that it's too little too late, right? Well, you know, the thing is, if you read both Shapiro and Kerry's speeches, they're pretty careful. Uh, they don't go quite that far. It's just a couple of comments in there in each right. case. I mean, Kerry has said there's this one-state reality that's taking hold. Absolutely, it's been taking hold for a long time. What's remarkable is that uh, the, the sort of stream of vituperation that you get from Israelis to even when they when they even suggest this in international forums, and uh, that same stream of uh, vituperation is what I think has kept the American press from going near this question. They don't want to alienate the Israelis. There are a lot of Zionists in the American press who want to believe in this dream castle Israel of. Uh, that will be preserved through a two-state solution. It's not happening, and honest observers have got to start relaying this to the American public uh, so that we can move on to the reality and, and, and try to you know distance ourselves from this occupation, which is not going away. Well, and so um, in the article you quote uh, one of the settlers explaining about the wall, that the wall is not for security because, after all, a great many of the settlers, and I guess I was unaware of this, a great many of the settlers live on the Palestinian sides of the walls, wherever they are scattered, you know, as it snakes through the West Bank. And, you know, if they wanted a fight, they could come and fight us. Uh, you know, there's there's no wall between us. That's right. not what it's about. It's about what? Uh, well, it's, he said that it's about keeping... Uh, as many Jews inside Israel and as few palace, filthy Arabs, as he said the government regards Palestinians, he does not regard them that way, but keeping as few filthy Arabs uh, on the other side so that they won't be able to vote in Israeli elections. This is a guy who works closely with Palestinians all the time as a security guard when they're working building houses inside settlements. And he says that, uh, you know, he admits that the guys that he that who pay him, Palestinians pay him to guard them, uh, to to protect the settlers from them inside the settlements. It's an absurd system. They can't vote. 
they can't even drive in the settlements without getting a pass. They can't walk into the settlements, the Palestinians. I saunter into these settlements without a question asked. It's a clear apartheid system. And as the settler admitted to me, it's wrong that they can't vote. My friend Ahmed, he can't vote. That's bad. And, you know, but they, every settler I talk to has no plan in mind for the time that these people can vote in any near future until they accept the Jewish state of Israel or other such uh, absurd demands of people who are living under a government that they don't have any consent to. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it comes up a couple of times in the piece here that the bottom line is there would be a civil war. If some pretend labor government in the future said, all right, settlers out, the army wouldn't obey the orders or maybe half of them would. And the other half would go to war against them. That it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the time that it did happen in 2006, when they removed uh, um, some settlers from um, uh, Gaza, you know, I think 7000 settlers were removed on that occasion. And you know, they all, the settlers now say, well, look what happened in Gaza. They're never going to, and the whole society, the whole of Israeli Jewish society says, hey, we did it in Gaza. We're not going to do it again because we don't want to create a pal hostile Palestinian entity on the West Bank. We don't want a Palestinian state. I think that that is actually a broad consensus inside Israeli society. Which is now, why Sharon did it, too, and did it that way. That that certainly yes, I've heard that. I wasn't around for that, but I've certainly heard that argument. Yeah, that he wanted to keep the West Bank in formaldehyde, as they put it. Just you right. Know. Yeah, I yeah. actually have the quote here. I won't bore you, but there's yeah. yeah, that's what they said. This is a way to freeze the peace process and make sure that it never is carried out by doing it unilaterally the way they did or whatever. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria, this is much more important in the minds of the religious settlers than the Gaza Strip ever was, right? Uh, I think it is, yes. They certainly, they. I mean, look, they have this religious ideology. You know, you and I are not uh, Bible thumpers, uh, so it's hard to know how much of this gets dreamed up anyway as an ideology. But yes, they have an ideology that this is the land of Israel, this is the Judean hills, this is Judea, this is where a Jew belongs. And they will promote that to you. I mean, it's complete integration of, of church and state, which uh, even the, some of the reasonable people among them seem to despair about. They, they realize what a, a, a demon has been uh, created through this uh, religious colonial project. And, um, I mean, the thing that, that uh, I mean, uh, you see is that, yes, there would be, they say that they would, they would rise up if anyone tried to remove them. And I have no doubt about that. They're leading uh, lives that they've been there for two and three generations. Their children are, are, you know, building houses next to them. Their grandparents are buried there. They're just, you know, they're not leaving, and uh, the Israeli society generally knows they're not leaving. And uh, so for anyone to pretend that there's gonna, an actual viable Palestinian state will be created, it's just... It's horse manure, and uh, the, the more that Americans begin to understand this, the more our policy can shift to adjust to this reality, and I think that that policy means separation from Israel. All right, now, well, good time to take this break, and we're going to pick up that conversation, America's relationship with Israel uh, during this occupation, as it relates to the occupation, with the great Philip Weiss from Mondo Weiss blog, right after this, ElmondoWeiss.net. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. 
They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. All right, kids, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show, et cetera, like that. ScottHorton.org is the site where I keep all the archives. Sign up for the podcast feed and things. ScottHorton.org. Uh, right here talking with Philip Weiss from the Mondo Weiss blog. He just got back from a tour of the West Bank settlements. Um, Airbnb, uh, <laughs> settlement style there. And, and, well, he's talking about his observations of the one state reality. And uh, the the death of the two-state solution, apparently, uh, quite some time ago. And then where we uh, stopped at the break, you were mentioning the all-important U.S. role in the conversation that's got to be had here about American culpability in this. Because, after all, that's why Mohammed Atta signed up with Osama bin Laden to kill 3,000 Americans, was because America paid for the Israelis to occupy and persecute the Palestinians. Yeah, I agree with you. His, and his uh, you biographer know, fact, wrote it, so. Right. And, you know, in fact, I was uh, in one settlement I was at. I didn't put this in the article, but the, my host said, you see that hill over there? Uh, there's a resident of that hill that you guys are paying room and board for. I said, who's that? Sirhan Sirhan, he said. Uh, he left uh, this part of Palestine and uh, became uh, was so angry at Bobby Kennedy that he went and killed him in 1968. And so... Uh, I think that there has been a long, you know, there's obviously this is uh, our support for Israel has embroiled us in a conflict that I don't think we really have a dog in that hunt. Or if we do, it's on the human right. It should be the human rights cause, which is uh, that of the uh, Palestinian oppressed uh, peoples. Just as we ended up siding with uh, the, the black people who had no rights in South Africa. This is what we should be doing here, too. Yeah. And the thing is, it's especially interesting to me for right wingers who support all this when Israel has a very socialist economy and and uh, health care for all and free education for all uh, in That's ways that conservatives don't support in the United States. But it's American money paying for it all. Right. Or am I overstating uh, the extent of that? Well, I don't know if we pay for it all, but we certainly subsidize that economy. No, but I mean, their degree. their economy is a very socialist one, much more so than Americans oh. would support here, right? I don't know about that, actually, because I think that they started out socialist. I mean, they I, certainly I think they have a better health care system than we've got in terms of uh, providing health care. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of... Uh, well, better know, the, meaning taxpayers yeah. pay for it rather than yeah. customers. You, you got know. it. You right. got it. So that's not better to me necessarily, but it, right. uh, it's making the point it. that this is, you know, when they say America pays, you know, a third now of Israel's military budget every year, and these yep. dollars are fungible. He could just as easily say, we're Absolutely. paying for their socialist state so that they can afford this military. But that's then a right winger will cry. That that is an interesting line. I would be curious to see why. I mean, I'm, it is a, well, I, I guess I'm waiting for Trump to say that. You know, Trump is, uh, said a couple of other things uh, that are um, a breath of fresh air on the wall. He said that uh, Hillary supports a wall in 
in Palestine that discriminates against people, but she's against the one the one that he would put on the Mexican border. So well, he's I think for a wall, he ain't, he ain't against that one. Only for this one too. But no, I understand your point though. Yes, that's funny. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I I wonder how much of this is going to break out in the next. Uh, you know, in this political cycle we're in. I'm hoping a lot. I mean, uh, I've always looked to the uh, Democratic Party because there the base is uh, the values of the base. Uh, progressive values are completely, um, uh, you know, opposed by Israel in, in its treatment of Palestinians. I mean, that is a, it's an apartheid state. And yet uh, the Democratic Party is uh, more supportive of Israel than just about anybody. Do you think there's a change coming in terms of official annexation of the West Bank and let's stop pretending here kind of thing? I don't think so. I think that um, what I observed was that people said that, look, the liberal left side completely understands we're not leaving. They're not even talking about the peace process. They folded in with uh, Netanyahu. The, there's a broad center in Israeli public life. But... The elites are always going to talk about a Palestinian state because they have to. Uh, Netanyahu will even will continue to talk about a Palestinian state. So I think that what they hope for is just that this kind of apartheid situation of managed conflict will continue to just drag along. And when you say and, have to, you mean because of international politics, not because yeah, of domestic politics. Oh, no, no, no. I think that domestically everyone's in on the joke, and they're just winking off the uh, the, the rest of the world. I mean, when people say that there's still going to be a two-state solution or we got to boycott settlement goods, they're, they're not really talking about the society I saw, which is one where there's broad support among the Jewish public, including in, throughout Israel and the settlements, for the settlements as an extension of the Zionist dream. The same thing that Israelis or Jews were doing, uh, Zionist Jews were doing uh, 80 and 100 years ago in the Galilee, they're now doing in the Judean hills. They're building uh, heavily fortified places. They're, they're, you know, people are carrying, uh, openly carrying uh, semi-automatic rifles around these places because they fear for their lives. And that's just what Zionism is about. It's about extending the Jewish presence in the land of Israel. I mean, it, Zionism stood for a lot of things, I should say. There were some very idealistic strands of Zionism, too. This is what it's turned out to be. It's sort of like talking about uh, the dreams of communism under Stalin. Communism worked out in a certain way. Zionism has worked out in a certain way. And it ain't pretty. Yeah. Well, now, so... In the last elections, Netanyahu admitted the truth domestically. I guess he should have just said it in Hebrew or something, but he, he did say that, no, there will always only be one Israel between the river and the sea, which seemed to be pretty much a proclamation of, uh, you know, uh, one step beyond just de facto annexation at that point even. But so... um I guess I what you're saying, though, is as long as they don't make that final step, then they can call it something less than outright apartheid. They can just keep pretending someday, someday, someday there will be an independent Palestine and never and never admit that, no, it's all just Israel with the Palestinians as the rightsless and the occupied within it. Right. I think that that is their game right now, that they can't state that openly because the uh, wave of international isolation would just mount enormously. Now, that wave is starting anyway, as it should, because people see through the hypocrisy. But as one settler said to me, you know, there's what you think 
uh, and then there's what you say and what you write. And Netanyahu doesn't mean any of this. It's just lip service. And so I think that uh, increasingly you see foreign leaders beginning to call them on this and the wave of Palestinian stabbing attacks, you know, these young people really giving up their lives uh, to oppose occupation by attempting to stab uh, soldiers uh, and sometimes civilians too, yes. Uh, I think that that is drawing attention to this very cruel and brutal conditions. Isn't that straight out of the Bible, too? I think you and I might have talked about this years ago in the context of suicide terrorism, that it's in the Bible that this is what Jewish, uh, whatever they were called, they had a name for them, I forget, who would, Ellis, yeah. who would attack the Roman soldiers. In There'd be three Roman soldiers. They knew they were going to die, but they'd stab Real. one and then get stabbed, right? I got to look that up. You know, Scott, I've got a Bible right here on my desk, you know, and maybe I should, I, it's going to take me a little while to find. But I'm the least I'm up. the least biblically literate person no, you've ever I met. I admit you, that. But I learned that from somebody who knew what they were talking about. I'm pretty sure I like it. I that, like that it. was, you know, and in fact, that was like part of what, you know, according to the mythology was what, you know, angered the Romans so much that they ended up, you know, kicking them right out that they fought back when they should have bided their time or that kind of thing was part uh-huh, of the story. Uh-huh. Well, and certainly Jewish terrorism was a large factor in the creation of the Jewish state. You know, Israel was founded in part because the colonist was uh, forced out. Uh, the colonists being, you know, the British had the mandate from the League of Nations to, uh, you know, sort of supervise these two populations. And the Israelis, uh, the Jews, uh, wanted them out of there, so they committed a lot of acts of terrorism in 1946 and 47. And, you know, the British said, no mas. And they got out. So uh, you can understand why, uh, I mean, I can understand why Palestinians are doing what they're doing. I don't approve of it, but it's certainly not a surprise. Yeah. Well, and of course, that's all I meant to say, too, was, yeah. you know, you could look at any of these things like it's just a, a, a social experiment or something. What happens if we cut off capital to this neighborhood? Will the crime rate yeah. go up? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like That's kind of thing. What will happen if we occupy these people? You know, yes, yes, and you know, as uh, Dennis Ross says, there's never been a benign occupation. Why is Dennis Ross, Israel's lawyer, working in the United States government? You know, or has he been so steadily for administration after administration? It's because of the Israel lobby, and I think that's really at the heart of this. All right, y'all, please go to MondoWeiss.net and read it. Among the settlers, part two is up there now as well. Thanks, really Scott. great work that you've done here, Phil. Appreciate, Appreciate it, it, man. All right, see you all tomorrow. Talk Thanks. To you soon.